Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, welcome those who are joining online as well. I want to invite you this morning to uh, turn to someone who is near you and share a brief story, just a brief story of a time when some time in the last week, somebody did something nice for you. If you're online watching with somebody, please share. If you're watching uh, by yourself, just reflect on that question. When is some time in the last week when someone did something nice for you? All right, thank you for sharing. Thanks for sharing. I'm sure there were good stories exchanged. Um, and now, as you think about what you just shared with someone, um, raise your hand if you liked that happening, if you liked the experience. Not the sharing, but what somebody doing something nice for you. Yeah, I mean, we kind of enjoy it, right? I mean, that's pretty much the definition of someone doing something nice for us is that we appreciate it. Now, we know there are times someone might try to do something nice for us that doesn't land well, doesn't sit well with us. We may appreciate it less. But in general, when someone is kind and is nice and serves us, uh, it rests well, it lands well with our souls. And so as we think about how we respond, how we appreciate it when people are kind to us, of course, of course, we are always kind and generous to others, right? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Um, because one reason that we appreciate when people are kind to us is we often recognize what it costs them. Sometimes it's just um, a nicety, a nice gesture that's reflective of their thinking of us. But often things that are truly done as acts of service to us cost someone else. And so as we think about being kind and serving others, we often recognize this is going to cost us something. And we recognize that that might not always come naturally. It might take some rethinking, some rewiring of our minds, some reforming of our personalities, our inclinations, in order to become people who more and more are inclined to be kind and to serve others. It can take some rewiring of our natural impulses to have a lifestyle that is shaped by acts of service to the people around us. And it's this breaking away from the world's patterns and our natural wirings that the Apostle Paul wrote about in his letter to the Christians in Rome. This is the passage that has been guiding our times together during the recent weeks of the sermon series that we're in now. We've seen that Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters in Rome that I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul writes about the patterns of this world, and I don't think it's hard for us to recognize that the pattern of this world is more often than not geared toward self-centeredness, toward selfishness, toward protectionism and individualism. And Paul reminds his sisters and brothers in Rome, and we get to be reminded right along with them, 
that allowing God to transform and to reshape our minds is part of what it means to bring ourselves to God as living sacrifices, to place ourselves in God's altar and say, God, do with me what you will. I offer myself even if you want to change me from the inside out. Over the weeks of this sermon series, we've been exploring how anytime we talk about worshiping God, we are talking about our response to God. Our worship doesn't just happen in an hour of the week or just in a place like this. It's a lifestyle of response to who God is and to what God has done in our lives, responding to what God is inviting us to do alongside him in the world around us. And we saw how worship begins with awareness. We first have to recognize that God is in our midst, that we are indeed on holy ground. And then we looked at Old Testament stories of people who encountered God and then felt compelled to respond, to do something in response, to build an altar or to erect a memorial or to tell someone the story. This is what God has done. Worship isn't simply thinking about God, but it's doing something because of God. Pastor Sunita Pontin reminded us that our neighbors are actually counting on us to live among them as, peop as people whose lives have been shaped by God. And that we need our neighbors as well so that together we can discover what God is up to in our neighborhoods around us. And then last week we explored what it looks like when our gatherings, our times of coming together, our times of response individually and together to God. This morning as we bring this series to a conclusion, we're going to explore one more element of this lifestyle of worship. Worship that demonstrates a response to God. And it's this idea of serving one another. When Jesus was about to leave the earth and ascend to heaven following his resurrection from the dead, he gave his friends some very important instructions. He told them to go into all the world and to preach and to teach to make disciples and to baptize. And he promised them that even though he was physically leaving them for a while, that by his spirit he would always be with them, even to the end of the age, he said. And we see in the Bible that it didn't take long for people to start asking questions about, well, he's gone, but when is he coming back? And what did he mean by the end of the age? When is this age going to end? And we see, too, that people began to wonder and even argue about the things that they were supposed to be doing in this in-between time as they waited for Christ's return. Some said that the church should, in a sense, pull back from society and, and remain holy so it was just prepared and ready for Christ to return. Others argued that the sole emphasis should be on, on going, on preaching and teaching and making disciples, as Jesus had said in what we call the Great Commission. These are the kinds of questions that were being asked at the young church in Thessalonica. And if you want to hear how that congregation came into being, you should look at Acts chapter 17, where we see it Paul and his companions, especially Paul and Silas, preach there in the synagogues in this ancient city of Thessalonica on three successive Sabbath days, we're told. Preaching and teaching and convincing those who would listen that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And there were many who believed in a small church was formed there. And those Christians in Thessalonica 
somehow got word back to Paul that they were wondering, well, how long is this wait going to be and what should we be doing in the meantime? And Paul wrote a letter addressing these questions and others. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Paul says, I'm not going to get into when the day of Christ will return because you know already that we don't know when that will be. It will come suddenly, like a thief in the night, he says. But, Paul says, followers of Jesus who await his coming are meant to be, to be vigilant, to be alert, to be on the lookout, focusing on the right things so that at the time of Christ's return, they will be ready rather than surprised, prepared rather than taken off guard. Now, there are other passages in the Bible that talk about this kind of work we're meant to engage in this in-between time, this time between Christ's ascension into heaven and his promised return. It's clear that we are indeed meant, out, meant to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us, to make disciples, to teach, to proclaim the good news, to love mercy, to act with justice. But in this passage, Paul writes a bit less about the what of what we do and more about the how. Our behavior as the church, as members of the body of Christ, as we do this work that Jesus has given us as his disciples, what is our posture? What is our attitude? How are we supposed to treat one another? And Paul reminds us first that we're to stay alert. Distraction. Distraction is the enemy of alertness. There are so many things that can pull our attention away from what Christ has called us to do. We think about the swirl of entertainment, politics, sports, jobs, family, things that in and of themselves are, are not bad, maybe not good, maybe neutral, but can distract and pull us in so many ways. You think about our worries, our concerns, our anxieties. But it's so important for us to be aware of these potential distractions and to choose alertness instead. Because we're not supposed to be just on the lookout and alert for Christ's return, looking heavenward, we're called to be diligently alert to opportunities to love and to serve like Jesus 
in the kingdom of God as Jesus' disciples. And Paul goes on to say that as we are alert for Christ's return, we are to encourage each other. We encourage each other because the life that we live, we know, is not always simple. The life we live just as humans can be incredibly challenging. And the life we're called to live and the way we're called to follow as Christians can be very draining, exhausting, and even discouraging as we seek to live counterculturally in a way that honors Jesus. And so Paul reminds us to take the time to encourage each other in this journey, to tell each other, hang in there. You've got Jesus, and I've got your back. With the Spirit of Christ in you, you can do this. We encourage each other as well by, by sharing in each other's joys and by coming alongside those who grieve. We encourage each other, says Paul, and we are to build each other up as well. Now, I think encouraging and building each other up are related, but when I think about building each other up, I am very aware of how desperately the world is seeking to tear us down. We might be discouraged by our circumstances and need encouragement, but we might feel torn down by voices that tell us, you're no good, you're never going to make it, it's not worth it. You're not worth it. You've got nothing worthwhile to offer. The world, and especially our enemy, speaks and whisper these things into our hearts. And in the face of these devastating attacks, we choose as brothers and sisters to build each other up. Not to make each other out as better than we really are, but to remind each other, you are God's craftsmanship. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has good plans for you and your life. God has good plans to do through you in your life. You have been gifted by God's Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit of Christ himself. You are needed in the body of Christ. This building up of each other, I think, is just one way we can demonstrate genuine care for each other which is the next thing Paul instructs us to do, to care for one another. As disciples of Jesus working his mission as we await his return, we offer care to one another. This is why I love that at Bethany Covenant Church we have something like Stephen Ministries. I don't know if you heard the, the phrases that, that Rich was sharing, but he said Stephen Ministers listen to each other, they care for each other, they offer hope and encouragement. And Rich, you didn't even steal my sermon notes ahead of time. <laughs> but this is what our Stephen ministers are about. Stephen ministry, by the way, named for this early apostle Stephen, who is such a servant, even to the point of martyrdom. We come alongside and encourage and serve and care for our brothers and sisters. And so I'm grateful for this team of Stephen ministers People trained to do exactly this, to care for sisters and brothers walking through challenging seasons. And as we offer this kind of ministry, I love the message it sends, that this isn't a church where we expect you to come because you've got life all figured out, 
because your life is going great and you're overflowing with happiness. We recognize that as people, we are broken and often find ourselves in time of need. And we long and are called to be here for one another. And of course, it's not just in our Stephen ministry that we offer care to each other. We have a love fund, a love fund where we use the generous contributions of donors to meet uh, trying financial needs of those who are struggling. We have connect groups where people do life together and they share joys in life, but they also care deeply for one another in challenging times of life. We pray for each other. We listen to each other. We put ourselves in each other's shoes to demonstrate empathy and to offer genuine compassion. At least these are the things we are called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul wraps up this passage of these instructions with something that sounds to me at least like a bit of a a catch-all to cover any bases he may not have touched. Paul says to do good to each other and to all people rather than repaying evil for evil. Everything that Paul has said so far, encouraging each other, building each other up, offering care to each other, falls into this category of doing good. And now Paul concludes that anything we can do that is for the good of another is that thing that we ought to do. And Paul here also broadens the circle beyond the body of Christ. Everything to this point has been the one anothering within the the body of Christ as brothers and sisters. But here Paul says, do good to each other, to one another, and to all people, rather than repay evil for evil. Not just to those who are on the inside. And we do all these things because of what God has done for us. We do all these things as an act of response, as an act of worship to God. We are called to offer our lives as living sacrifices as we offer them in worship to God. We worship God as we serve one another like Jesus, which we can actually do as we find ourselves empowered by the Spirit of Christ living and working in us. And if we wonder what it means to serve like Jesus, I don't think we need to look further than the passage that was read earlier from John chapter 13. That when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then said, I've done this as your master and your teacher. I've done this as your model, and now you need to do this for one another. I think he's basically communicating the message that as brothers and sisters serving one another, nothing, nothing should be beneath us. Jesus took on this lowliest task of the humblest servant 
to make it crystal clear that he was, he was upending any idea of hierarchy in, hierarchy in terms of who should do what for whom in the kingdom of God. Jesus never told his followers, yeah, I'll serve you, but I'll only go so far. I'll serve you, but there are certain things I, I just won't do. Because we need to remember that it was on this very night that we read about in John 13 that Jesus would be betrayed and handed over to those who would eventually kill him on a cross. Jesus had taught his friends that no one, no one has greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friends. And as shocking as it must have been that night to see Jesus stoop down in front of them, to wash their feet, to to wet them and to towel them dry with a towel that was wrapped around his waist, as shocking and upending as that must have been, it was, of course, nothing compared to the sacrifice that he was about to make on their behalf, on the behalf of all those who choose to follow Jesus. Friends, this is the sacrifice that Jesus has made so that we can become living sacrifices. Sacrifices that glorify God, that honor our teacher and Lord and master Jesus. Just as Christ rose from the dead, we have been made alive in him. We have been given new and abundant and eternal life so that our sacrificing, our worship, can begin each day and can continue and extend into eternity. Our lives are meant to be lived in response to who God is and to what God has done. Our minds are meant to be renewed by God's spirit so that we follow the pattern and model of Jesus Christ himself, not the pattern and form of this world. This is our act of worship. And so may God himself sustain each of us in this journey and sustain and guide us in our journey together in this life and lifestyle of worship, response to God. May we find ourselves encouraged and built up and cared for by each other and more inclined to do that for one another. May our neighbors and our neighborhoods be transformed by the love and power of a church that's bent on a life of worship. And may God be honored and glorified in all of it. Would you join me in prayer? Holy, heavenly Father, we ask that you would steer our hearts and our lives toward worship in all that we do. May our lives look like a lived-out response to who you are and what you have done. God, we ask that you'd keep our eyes on Jesus, our teacher, our master, our role model. And would you send a fresh wind of your spirit among us, so that more and more our lives would resound and echo as a response to a holy God. Amen.